Welcome to the 2018 Outpost Podcast. This week we continue our sermon series on the names of God. Jehovah Jireh starts right now. Hey, guys. How are you world changers doing? Doing good? Good. We're going to uh, introduce part two of our series on Jehovah tonight. It's going to be it's going to be great and uh, I feel like I need a little extra help uh, articulating this properly tonight. So let's pray. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this opportunity just to share your word. I pray that you would just reveal truth. God, reveal who you are. uh, Reveal your nature. God, I pray that my words would be yours and we give you all the glory for anything good that happens tonight and everything good that happens tonight in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Cool. Back to Jehovah. So we uh, introduced this series last week. It's on Jehovah, uh, in particular, the redemptive names of God. We found out that the name Jehovah is actually a a name that God refers to himself as, in particular, with regard to his relationship to people. Okay, so God is Elohim. He is the almighty God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. So he he is all of that. And uh, he refers to himself as I am or Yahweh. And uh, the translation of that that we're going to use is Jehovah. It means the same thing. It's just the personal name of God. He calls himself Jehovah. And in calling himself Jehovah, he's talking about his relationship with us. Okay. And there's a couple of things we found out last week about this name. First of all, his name literally means that he's the self-existent one who reveals himself. So... Not only is he there, but he also continuously and progressively reveals himself to, to us. You know, it's not to members of the Trinity that he reveals himself, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've been doing that for eons and eons, so they have a pretty good grasp of who each other are. He reveals himself to us, okay? He is the Lord. He is the self-existent one who reveals himself. We found out that his nature is eternal, so he's always been, he's always going to be, there is nothing behind God, he is, he is ultimate reality. The reason that we have things like the morality we th- that we have is because that's who he is. He didn't just decide that, that's who he is. The way that things are is because Jehovah is the way that he is. We learned that he, his character is faithful, among other things. So he's eternal, and his character is faithful. A.K.A. he is a person of his word. If he says something, that means he's going to do it. In fact, you can't separate his very being from his word. He is so tied to his word that when you hear something that he says, you know that it's going to come to pass because that's who he actually is. He can't say anything opposed to the way that things actually are. Okay, so he's eternal, and his character, among other things, is faithful. He is faithful. These are the things that he has revealed to to us about who he is. And then what is his relationship to mankind like? Well, uh, there's a couple things um, that we can talk about there. First, he is our Lord, right? He's all all perfect. He's all righteous. He's all just. He's all holy. He's all pure. He created us. We in and of ourselves are none of those things. Neither did we create ourselves. He created us, so we're completely dependent upon him. In other words, he's our Lord. He's our Lord. He's our rightful Lord, whether we make him that or not. He is our Lord. You can have a kingdom on the earth, 
and you can have rebels within that kingdom, but it doesn't make any, it doesn't uh, change the fact that those rebels within the kingdom still are servants of that king and servants of that kingdom. Same thing with us, okay? He is our Lord. He is the Lord. So he's Lord, and then the other thing that he is, is he is Redeemer. He has revealed himself to us as both Lord and Redeemer. So he's our Lord, and he's also the one that wants to right the things in our lives that have gotten out of whack because of sin or other circumstances in our lives. When there are things that are happening in our life that are contrary to the will of God, he wants to redeem that area of our lives. Redemption is to buy back, is to bring back to where it needs to be, is to make things right again. God is a redeemer. That's, that's who he is. This is part of his nature. He is a redemptive Lord. So not only does he demand our allegiance, even though we have a free will and we can give it to him or not, he's not just a tyrant. So he, he is our rightful Lord, but he's also a benevolent ruler. He's also a redeemer. He's amazing. Okay? And we, in this series, are going to be talking about uh, some qualities of God, qualities that he reveals to us about himself, qualities that actually his name represents, that talk to us about his relationship with us, in, in that he is a redeemer. Uh, we also talked about last week how Jesus, if you've been in church, you, you may have heard Jesus termed the redeemer, and he definitely is, okay? Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that Jesus uh, or excuse me, that the Lord was talking about in the Old Testament. He is, he is, he is uh, the final, he's the solution. He, he's everything that God wanted to do for people, but couldn't do all at the same time. It happened in Jesus, and we are on this side of the cross, okay? So all of the promises of God, the Bible says, are yes and amen in him. So redemption is um, fully completed and realized in Jesus, but the cool thing is, the Lord, throughout the Old Testament, was constantly revealing more and more of himself as a redeemer to the people even back then. So what we want to do in this series is look at the Lord as redeemer in the Old Testament, okay? So Jehovah, he's the eternal one who's a faithful character. He's the Lord and redeemer. And tonight, the first thing that we're going to look at is that he is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is the Lord, our provider, one of the first things that he reveals himself as to the people of Israel in the Old Testament is that he is their provider. He's their provider, okay? Jehovah Jireh. So um, I was thinking of a story to sort of introduce uh, or exemplify this. And I have recently completed uh, this book called The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. It is an incredible book you haven't read that book, it'll light you up for seeing God move in mighty ways um, in people's lives. David Wilkerson was a, was a country pastor who felt the call of God. He, he actually uh, saw a couple teenagers on the front page of a paper, I believe it was, in New York City that were on trial for murder. And um, he, he felt in his heart, uh, this is just a little nugget, if Duncan was here, he'd give us some nuggets, you know. Uh, he felt in his heart that he needed to go do something about it. A lot of times when the Lord speaks to us, it's not in lightning bolts and it's not in maybe a, even an audible voice. Sometimes it's just your very own heart that's connected with him being pulled toward a certain thing. And that's how God led him in this case. And so he goes to New York City and he eventually meets up with a lot of different gang members. 
and uh, makes a tremendous impact. Uh, the organization, the Worldwide Organization Teen Challenge, was founded by David Wilkerson after this experience that he had uh, in New York City. Anyway, one of the Puerto Rican gang members that he met in New York City uh, was a guy by the name of Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz um, had been uh, in a lot of trouble. Uh, so he had, he had, I don't know, the book that I read didn't necessarily say that he had killed people, although I think that was implied. And he had 15 stabbings to his credit. So this was a bad dude. And this is the 50s. This is not even this day and age. There was, I mean, there's bad mama jamas going on in the 50s. <laughs> so he's this Puerto Rican gangster, teenager in the 50s. And when David Wilkerson first encountered him, he had a, he had a really terrible thing going on with his, his throat and his mouth. You could barely hear what he was talking about. It was like super raspy. And Wilkerson thinks that that probably had to do with maybe either, you know, gang-related violence injuries or maybe just the stress of the lifestyle that he was living just caused his voice to be like this. At any rate, uh, <coughs> Nicky Cruz actually, um, through a set of circumstances, uh, gave his life to Christ, which is pretty amazing. And then he felt the call to ministry. And David Wilkerson was going to go pitch what he was doing in New York City to this church uh, out in upstate New York, and he invited Nicky Cruz to come with him. And so this is what happens there. We're talking about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord providing. Nicky Cruz was poor, and he needed money to go to Bible school. He felt this call, and he didn't have any money. And so um, David Wilkerson actually invited him to speak at this, to give his testimony of how he gave his life to Christ, came out of the gangs, came out of drug addiction, that type of thing. And as Nicky Cruz was speaking, um, his articulation became clearer and clearer and clearer and finally at the end of his message he was speaking crystal clear and it continued that way for the rest of his life pretty amazing huh he was he was completely physically healed um, you know basically just stepping out and obeying the lord to follow god in ministry pretty awesome so god provided for him there and then um, they took up an, an offering and you guess what happens He's, he, is, he is able to have the offering money that he needs to go to Bible school, okay? So read that book, The Cross and the Switchblade. It's pretty awesome. The story of a gang member coming to Christ is pretty amazing. And then God continued to provide for him over and over, restored his voice, gave him the money that he needed. This is Jehovah Jireh. This is the heart of God our Father. This is the heart of Jesus. He wants to bring redemption to places where his will is not being fully realized. It's God's will that when you stand up in front of people and give uh, the word of God, that people can hear you clearly. Wouldn't you agree? God wants to provide for that to happen. It's God's will when, somebody, when you're called to go to Bible school, it's God's will that you go. It's not God's will that you wait for you know, <clears throat> the rest of your life trying to scrape together the money to go. It's God's will that you go. And so God the provider, Jehovah Jireh's will is that you have the funds that you need to do what God needs you to do. So this is the Jehovah that we're talking about. Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. So why is there a need for provision in this earth? I mean, it, it may be pretty obvious that there is a need for provision. We have all kinds of needs. We need help in a lot of different areas. But why is that the case in the earth? Well, the short version of that story is that, uh, you know, it started... It started in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is the place that God uh, set 
Adam and Eve up originally. So God created this place. And in this place, if you'll re- recall the, uh, the first couple chapters of Genesis, so God created the heavens and the earth. He created the moon and the stars. He created the earth. He created the waters. He created the plants. He created the fish. He created the animals. And then he creates humans, okay? He sets Adam in the garden. The garden has uh, plants to eat. Uh, the garden has purpose. The Bible, Bible says that God said, Adam, you are to tend my garden and to, your, to name all the animals. So there's purpose there. There's, there's uh, things to eat there. There's shelter there. And there's the very presence of God there. Everything that Adam had a need of was present in the Garden of Eden, including a perfect relationship with God. God's very presence walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Everything that man ever had a need of was present in the Garden of Eden. All of his needs were met. <clears throat> and then what happened? And then what happened was sin. So the tempter came to Adam and Eve, and basically they got, you know, he, he said, hey, it's not going to be that big of a deal if you eat this apple that God said not to eat. The long and short of it was <clears throat> Adam and Eve decided to define good and evil for themselves, and in doing that, they uh, removed themselves from the presence of God. They sinned. It was a sin to choose to do something other than what God had said, okay? And in that sin, the first thing that dropped off was them being in the presence of God. That was the first thing that dropped off. No longer were they spiritually united with Jesus. Now there was a gap there. There was a need, if you will, for them to be reunited with their maker. That was the first thing that dropped off. And then there were some consequences that God laid out because of them Uh, basically breaking God's law. He kicked them out of the garden. So he kicked them out of this perfect place that was perfectly provided for. He put angels at the doorpost so that they couldn't get back in, and now they're by themselves in the wilderness. So now other needs are kicking into place because of sin. The other needs are now they have a need to find their food. Now they have a need to find their shelter. Now they have a need to clothe themselves, and they're definitely separated from the presence of God. This is where need first comes from. This is why provision is necessary now. That's the, that's the short, long and short of it. Um, how about today? Why is there a need for provision? Well, we have needs. You know that. Many of us, perhaps even most of us, have some kind of a need right now. Maybe something that you're praying about. I have a need, God. Can you please come through for me? And that's fine. That's the way that it is. I'm just, I'm just telling you how it got there. And sometimes these needs that we have, Sometimes they come about in our lives because, because of us, honestly, because, uh, because we have removed ourselves from what we know God's will to be now. When you sin, then you, you get yourself out of the place where God can bless you because he can bless people that are his children and that are obeying him. But when we decide to do our own thing, that removes his ability to bless us. Okay, so sometimes the reason that we have a need is because of sin. And sometimes the reason that we have a need is because we live in this world that is ruled by sinful people now, and because of circumstances that we can't foresee, we just have a need now. That's just the world that we live in because of sin. So it can either happen because of you, or it can happen in a lot of cases because of somebody else or the corporate somebody else is just not doing what God wants. This is the reason that we have a need for provision now. Thank God, God is our provider. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, <clears throat> one, of, one way of saying what was available in the garden is that there was uh, 
There was spiritual, mental, and physical. In other words, every, everything that man had need of was provided for there. And because of sin, there are now spiritual, mental, and physical needs. One of the coolest things to me about God is that after Adam and Eve's first sin, it is God that is coming to their aid. One of the reasons that I know that is because the Bible says that they realized that they were, that they were naked, and uh, they felt ashamed by that. In other words, they had a need for, for clothing. They had a need for, for, for not feeling that way anymore. And who solves this need but God? The Bible says that God brought them skins to cover, to cover up with in this state. And I want you to see something really crucial that will kind of come into play as we go throughout this message. <clears throat> a sacrifice was required in order to bring redemption to Adam and Eve. It was, and it was the sacrifice of these animals. Blood was shed in order to provide these skins to clothe their nakedness. So I want you to recognize a couple things. First of all, a sacrifice was needed. Secondly, it was God that, prov- that brought the redemption. Now, this wasn't full redemption. Full redemption, like I said, comes in Jesus. But they had a need for clothing, and it was God who clothed them, even though he was the one that was sinned against. Isn't that amazing? This is the first sin. This is the reason for the lack and the need that we have today. This is the reason for the crap, the murder, and all kinds of other stuff that goes on. What these guys did is the reason for that. And God came to their aid, and he said, hey, man, these guys have a need for clothing. I'm going to provide that for them. He starts redeeming them right away. It's absolutely incredible. God loves his creation so much that he wants to redeem them, even in the midst of their own crap. Same thing for you. God loves you so much that he wants to redeem you. He wants to bring you back to his place of favor, even within your own crap. And you're not going to be able to do it on your own. You're going to have to rely on him to do it for you. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. God is a redeemer. He is a redeemer. And it started in Genesis chapter 3. There's 65 other books in the Bible to go through. Pretty amazing. Okay? So that's kind of the groundwork of what we're talking about here. Now we're going to get into the text of the first mention of of God being the provider, even though we saw it already. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Let me lay out some context here. The context of this story is that God had promised this man named Abraham a descendant through his wife, Sarah. And that promise was fulfilled by the birth of his son, Isaac. Okay? The crazy thing about this story is that when Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Okay? So, in other words... It was obvious that God was involved in this birth. Jesus was a virgin birth, okay? No earthly father. God was his father and Mary was his his mother. However, that worked. It's a mystery, but it happened. In this case, it was two human parents. One was uh, either 89 or 90 when conception happened, and the other one was either 99 or 100, okay? The Bible says in text that we're not going to talk about that this happened by faith. The rest of that story is that even before they they tried to conceive, right, God promised Abraham, he took him outside and he said, look up at the stars, count them, 
this is the number of your offspring. The Bible says that Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So there was a promise given to Abraham that, hey, through your descendants, you are going to be the father of many nations. And he believed that. And the fulfillment of that promise was actually Isaac being born. Okay? Isaac was born to these guys in their old age. God was very involved in this. <clears throat> so here's the text. Genesis chapter 22, verses 5 through 14. And Abraham said to his young men, this is, okay, actually, missed a very vital part here. Setting this story up, this is what happened. So Abraham and Sarah had just received the son of promise. Abraham, or excuse me, Isaac is now a boy. He's able to walk and talk, serve his family. And God says to Abraham, hey, I want you to take your son to this mountain, a three days journey from here called Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Okay, that's the context of this story. Remember, Isaac is the one that God promised Abraham would have. And then Abraham did when he was 100. So it was obvious that this is something that God did. And then God says, hey, I want you to take your son, the one that I promised you, the one that I fulfilled that promise in, I don't want you to go sacrifice him. Pretty epic. And we don't have time to go into all of the things that we could dig into here. We're just going to talk about a couple simple things. But this is an amazing story. So here we go. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, which means Isaac, his son, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I, here I am. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide and it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is uh, really an incredible story. It means all kinds of different things. We don't have time to go into everything that this story means, okay? <clears throat> One of the things that means, though, is that <clears throat> God provided for Abraham's need. All right? So tonight we're, tonight we're going to look at how God met Abraham's need. We're going to look at how God met our number one need, and we're going to talk about how God will meet our needs in general, okay? So God met Abraham's need. Abraham actually had at least two needs going on in the story. First of all, he had the need for an heir. So he had the need for somebody from his, you know, that was descended from him to be the person that the descendants and the father of many nations would come from, right? God promised him this. So one of his needs was he needed an heir for that to happen. The other need that I see in this story is that he had a need 
for a substitute sacrifice for his son. If this is going to happen, and if this is going to happen through Isaac, he's going he's to need a different sacrifice. Okay? So Abraham had a couple needs here. The cool thing is that God provided both of these needs. God provided for him. First, he allowed Isaac to live, thereby fulfilling his promise of a descendant. And second, he provided for Abraham's need of a substitute. All in one, all in one deal there. <clears throat> I believe Abraham knew that this was a test of faith. I believe he knew this. I believe he knew the character of God, and I believe that God would fulfill and I believe that he, he knew and he believed that God would fulfill the promises that he made in him, through, to him. Abraham knew that God was a faithful redeemer, but as his Lord, he still had to obey. He still had to take his son like he was told to do, and he still had to sacrifice him if necessary. All, be, all that being said, he knew that God would be a person of his word. Okay? One of the reasons I know this is because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 and 19 says this. It gives us a little insight into what was going on in Abraham's mind. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, which from which he also re received him in a figurative sense. So, Abraham had faith that God's promise was going to be kept even if he had to raise Isaac from the dead. That is, that's awesome. That's crazy. The crazier part is that Abraham received what he had faith for. God did this. God provided for him. God provided a descendant, and God provided a substitute sacrifice. Another little nugget here. Just because you've received a promise from God, just because you've received a prayer request answered or something that you've been believing for and you know God has given it to you, doesn't mean that God is not going to ask for it back. If he asks for it back, he has the right to do that because he's Lord. And we need to, we need to allow him to take things back that are his. Okay? The, th the cool thing about God is that he's not only Lord, he's also Redeemer, okay? So God wants to take it upon himself to meet our needs. He wants to take it upon himself to meet our needs. So what we're going to focus on for the rest of tonight is, is that God is a need meter. He is a need meter, okay? Lester Summerall, in his book, The Names of God, says this, Abraham knew that God had provided, or excuse me, Abraham knew that God had promised him a son, in fact, had promised a long line of descendants to him, so he knew his son would live. Uh, there's, there's more to that story that you could go into, you and I could go into. I, I encourage you to do so. There's a lot of depth there. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that this story about Abraham and Isaac foreshadows is what God would do through Jesus, okay? So we just covered how God met Abraham's need fairly briefly, but he did meet his need. He provided for his need for a descendant, and he provided a substitute sacrifice. Now God met our need, our primary need. Since the fall of mankind, our greatest need has been that of reconciliation to the Father. 
Remember the first thing that happened when man or Adam and Eve tried to go their, decided to go their own way? The first thing that happened was that they lost contact with the presence of God. This is the greatest need. All of the other needs that God desires to meet in our life hinge on whether or not we are connected to his presence, whether or not we have a relationship with him. It is far and away the greatest need that any human will ever have, no matter what their circumstance. If you know God, you have everything that you need. If you know God, you have everything that you need. He is everything. He's, the crea- he's not only the creator of all, but he's, he's the sustainer of everything. Okay? So let's look at some of these parallels to the story that we just had uh, about Jesus. Isaac was Abraham's son of the promise. In effect, his only son. Okay? Abraham did have another son. By, his name was Ishmael. Uh, and the way that he came up with that son was by sinning. He uh, made love to his uh, wife's servant, and they produced a child. And that child was not legitimate in terms of the promise to God. Although... God, in his amazingness, blesses Ishmael also. Pretty cool. So Isaac was um, Abraham's firstborn and only son. Uh, God has one son. His name is Jesus. Abraham was willing to offer his only son. In covenant terms, this meant, we talked about covenant a little bit last week, that means that all of my assets and liabilities are yours and all of your assets and liabilities are mine. In covenant terms, because Abraham was willing to offer his only son, that meant that God would be willing to offer his only son. Thank God for the faithfulness of our father in the faith, Abraham. Isn't that amazing? God provided a sacrifice in place of Abraham's sacrifice. So the commandment to Abraham was, hey, you need to give me a sacrifice, but God provided, right? The Bible says to us that the wages of sin is death, so payment is required because of our sinfulness. And guess what God through Jesus did through Jesus? God provided a payment for our sinfulness. Amazing parallels here. Also, Abraham received his son back from the dead. That's what Hebrews 11 just said, and so did, so did the Lord. Incredible parallels. God has met our need through Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So it's talking about the gift is Jesus, and the one who sinned is Adam and sin, the fall of man. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So the Bible here is saying that even though death reigned because of Adam's sin, much more those who receive God's grace and his righteousness will reign in life through Christ Jesus. That's absolutely incredible. Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. He was God's only son. God required a payment from us, our lives, because of our sins. But Jesus was our substitute. We deserve spiritual death because of our sins, but he stepped in and allowed himself to be separated from the Father for us. His death fully satisfied the demands of God's justice, thereby setting us free from sin, guilt, and shame, and then God received his son back from the dead. Our, our, our 
the, the debt that we owed has been paid in Jesus Christ. There is a way now to that presence of God that Adam and Eve had in the garden and they lost through sin. Now there's a way. The way is in Christ. The way is in Christ. Okay? <clears throat> even though Jesus is our Redeemer, even though he wants to do these things for us, make no mistake about it, Jesus is still the Lord. He wants you to fully renounce your sin and your way of doing things and receive him and his way of doing things. He will not be our crutch. He has to be our king. He has to be our king. Has to be our king. Okay? Our posture as making Jesus our Lord, as Jehovah Jireh as our Lord, is A number one. And this fulfills, this meets the needs that we have. And now I'd like to share with you that the other needs in our life God wants to meet also. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about the Messiah's sacrifice. And it indicates three different areas of our lives that his sacrifice was intended to redeem. And here it is, Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. This is pretty cool. Transgressions and iniquities, um, the translation of those things, both, both of those indicate sin, although they're different kinds of sin. The first is rebellion, the second one is perversion. For our, for our uh, purposes here, we just need to know this as, as sin, right? So this is a spiritual condition. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. So it's talking about Jesus there. And it said the reason that Jesus was wounded and bruised was to take care of our sin problem, our spiritual problem. Does that make sense? We had a spiritual problem in the garden. God wants to redeem it. He did it through Jesus. Isaiah 53 states that. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Peace is a soul problem. Okay, so not only did God send Christ to die for our spiritual condition, but he also sent him to die for our mental condition, our soulish condition. Condition Because of Christ, we can have peace now in our lives. Peace that passes all understanding, the Bible says. Not only can we know that we're right with God, but we can have a peace in knowing that, hey, our eternal destiny is secure, and I can go through life with confidence because I know who my father is. I know who my provider is. And I, I have peace now. God wants to redeem the soulish area of our lives. Okay? And then finally, by his stripes we were healed. This is talking about the redemption that he wants to provide for the physical part of our lives. Our body and everything related to our natural needs here on the earth. God sent Jesus to redeem us spirit, soul, and body. It doesn't just end with our redemption and salvation from sin. That's where it begins. That's where it has to begin. That's the most important thing and will always be. But he has also come to redeem the other areas of our lives. This is why Jesus came. So let's get into this a little bit more, okay? <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter five, verses seventeen and eighteen. So let's talk about <clears throat> the spiritual need that we have first. It is a right relationship with God. We've already covered it a little bit, but let's do some more. This scripture says, "Therefore, if anyone in is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new." 
And now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, right? He makes our spirit, he makes us spiritually a new person. And then he gives us a job, which is the reconciliation of others. Reconciliation just means, hey, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Come back to God. He's good. He's your rightful Lord. He's your maker. He's your sustainer. He's your provider. Come back to him. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is talking about. Can I get somebody to shout if you're glad that he's your spiritual redeemer? Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> yeah. So awesome, man. So awesome. He's our redeemer. Secondly, he has come for the soulish part of us. He wants to redeem us mentally. This includes emotional stability, psychological stability, self-esteem, self-image, self-confidence, etc. Talking to somebody today, God wants to redeem that part of your life. He wants to redeem that part of your life. The Bible said just 3 John chapter 1 verse 1 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So even though the spiritual is the number one, he wants the rest of your life to reflect the freedom and the redemption that you have found in the spirit. That includes what happens between your ears. Your soul, he wants, he wants that to be holy. He wants that to be pure. He wants to redeem that part of your life. He wants it to look like Jesus looks. Somebody, somebody received that, right? If you've been going through some stuff in your head, you know, if, if self-confidence or self-esteem is an issue, God wants to redeem that part of your life. Jesus came that you, so that you could be free. He's your redeemer. Jehovah Jireh, he's the Lord, your provider. And he wants to provide for you in this area, spiritually and mentally. He also wants to provide for us physically. Um, actually, let me share one scripture first. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, talking about the fruits of the Spirit. This uh, is indicative of wanting to save our souls, our minds, our will, and emotions. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the physical part of us, this includes material things, health, food, clothing, shelter, tuition money, mission trip money, etc. God wants to redeem this part of our life. He wants to provide for us in these areas. He wants to provide for us in these areas. Psalm chapter 37, verse 25 says this. David said this, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. Isn't that incredible? If you are in Christ, if you've received what God has done for you to save you from your sin, then you are righteous. The Bible calls you righteous. And David here says that, he has never seen the righteous forsaking, nor his descendants begging for bread. This means material need. God wants to redeem you spiritually, mentally, and physically. Spirit, soul, and body. Jesus came so that you could have freedom and life in all of these areas. All right? A couple more scriptures, and then we're going to close. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33 makes it even more clear. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things do the Gentiles or the pagans seek? For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. All of these things shall be added unto you. The emphasis there is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. He is Lord. But guys, he's a redeemer. He is a redeemer. You know, add that to your meditation, man. The Lord wants to do good for me. The Lord wants to meet my needs. The Lord wants me to be self-confident in him, of course. The Lord wants me to have high self-esteem. The Lord wants me to have clarity of thought. He wants me to not be confused. He wants me to understand what's going on. The Lord wants to provide for my needs. The Lord wants me to do this thing that he's called me to do. The Lord wants me to be healthy. God is our redeemer. Jehovah Jireh is the Lord that provides. So, Lester Summerall, and one more quote from him, he's referring to missionary Hudson Taylor here, and he says that Hudson Taylor once said, God's work done in God's way cannot fail to have God's provision. Luke 22, verse 35 shows this. Jesus said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? He's talking about when he sent the disciples out, and they said, no, nothing. He wants to provide. So how is this provision received? Let's try to apply this, okay? Let's look back to our story about Abraham. A couple, couple key thoughts here. A, Abraham, excuse me, Jehovah was Abraham's Lord. Abraham was fully submitted to the lordship of his God. Okay, this is, this is a key to receiving the provision that God has for you. You must be fully submitted to, to the Lord. Okay? When you do that, you, be, you, you, become, you come under the dominion of his kingdom. And his kingdom has, has more than enough of everything that you have need of. But when you're outside of his kingdom, not under his lordship, he can't bless you because you're not in his kingdom. Okay? Or there's one caveat there we'll get to in just a second. All right? So Jehovah was his lord, first of all. Abraham was committed and he was obedient. When we make him our Lord, the Bible says that he becomes our father. So even more than a good king wants to bless his subjects, we have a father that wants to bless you as his child. And then finally, Abraham had faith in the Lord's promises. So Abraham stood strong knowing that what God had promised he would bring to pass in his life. All right? Um, He had been promised descendants. Because he stood strong, and even though he was tested in that faith, he brought his son to the altar, willingly doing that because of his Lord. But he, he knew at the same time that God had the power to raise the dead. So he was trust, trusting and counting on God to fulfill his promise for descendants. He trusted in the word of the Lord. So 
He was under authority as, as his Lord, and he believed the promises of God. This is how provision comes. This is how provision comes. One last thought here before we pray, and the, the band can come up right now. One last thought here before we pray. The caveat that I was talking about, it is true that when you make Jesus your Lord, you come into his kingdom, God becomes your father, and provision, uh, the channel is open, all right? But Jesus, in his earthly ministry, constantly blessed people that were not believers yet, right? He fed the 5,000 people who had, who had gathered to hear him preach. He fed them with a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. That was a miracle. Not all of those people were believers in Jesus. They had just come to see the show. And he constantly healed everybody that came to him. He constantly healed them. It didn't matter if they were a believer or not. When people come to Jesus, they were healed. When they came to him for healing, they were healed. All right? So it's definitely true that when you make him his Lord, you, when you make Jesus your Lord, you get access to the provision of that kingdom. But it's also true that you can't do anything about the character of Jesus. He just is a redeemer. He's constantly looking for people to redeem. And if anybody, no matter what their belief system or conviction is, comes to Jesus to get their needs met, he is not going to turn them away. He wants to be, he wants to be their father. But he wants, if somebody comes to him, to get their needs met, he's going to meet their needs. He wants to be the father. That's the, that's the primary thing. He wants that relationship. He wants that lordship. He wants that fatherhood thing. He wants to be in the same family. He wants people to have that presence restored. But because of his, his nature as a redeemer, he's going to meet people's needs. Okay? So in quick review, God met Abraham's need in our story. God has met our need for a redeemer. Jesus, and God continues to meet our needs because he's a provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. And those needs include spiritual needs, they include mental needs, they include physical needs. These are the types of areas that God wants to redeem and restore in your life. And that includes everything, basically. It includes everything completely. Alright? So tonight, as we close, uh, you, may have, you may have a need. I don't care what that need is. I believe that God wants to meet it. He wants to meet your needs. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful Lord, Savior. He's a Redeemer. He wants to meet your needs. I encourage you to come to Him and make Him your Lord. If you've already done that, then come to Him and expect to receive your needs met. Remember, as Lord... If he is your Lord, I encourage you, when you come to him, say, when you say that word Lord, that means I am submitted to your will, God. The first thing that needs to happen if you don't find yourself in that place of submission to his will, but you call him Lord, is that you need to get that right. If he's your Lord, he's your Lord. You need to obey. Get that right. All right? But then expect him to meet your needs. If he's not your Lord, you're, you're missing out. You're missing out on an amazing relationship. This, this God, the God of the universe, he's both Lord and Redeemer. I've said it so many times tonight, but he's both. He's not just a dictator. He's your creator, 
He's the reason for love. He's the reason for peace. He's the reason for joy. He's the reason for every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from him. He's the reason for the good things that have happened in your life. God is the reason for that. I encourage you, if he's not your Lord, if you've never made him your Lord, make him your Lord. He's the reason for the goodness in the world. He's the reason. But he also is the Lord, okay? He he deserves your worship because because of who he is. So I encourage you to come to the Lord and receive your needs met tonight. Let's stand up. Everybody, if you could stand up with me, that'd be great. Now, I know, you know, if you have a need and it's like a financial need or something like that, and listen, there's there's financial needs that are completely legitimate. If you have a financial need, somebody may need to come to your aid. You know what I'm saying? So God often uses people to get his will done in people's lives. All right? So um, when we pray whatever your need is, let's believe God that he's going to make whatever happen that needs to happen to get that need met. Right? Maybe you're somebody that Jesus is your Lord and maybe God would ask you to meet a need tonight. Maybe you know of some needs in your life. Maybe you know of some needs in your small group's life or people in your class's life or people in your family's life and uh, you can do something about it. I encourage you to obey the Lord and respond to that and be the answer to their prayer. Okay, so let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for revealing yourself tonight as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Thank you, God, for showing us that you have met our number one need, and that is for a restored relationship with you. You've done that in Jesus. He paid the penalty for our sin, and now if we receive his payment, we can have an amazing relationship with you. Thank you. God, thank you for also showing us that if we have a need, doesn't matter what it is, spiritually, mentally, physically, you want to meet that need as well. And so we give you our needs right now. Give him your need, whatever that is. He is a redeemer. He is a need meter. He's a way maker. The Bible says that he makes away in the desert and streams in the wasteland. He creates opportunities and provision when there is literally none. He creates it. He created the earth out of nothing. He can create the answer to your question or your prayer or your need out of nothing if he has to. Ask him to come through for you like that. God, I pray that you would move on the hearts of people. I pray that you would answer prayers in this place today. God, I pray that you would use us to be the answer to people's prayers. God, use us in a mighty way. God, I pray that you'd come to these as their redeemer. In Jesus' name, why don't you guys go ahead. Thanks for joining us for the Outpost Podcast. See you next week.